Welcome to Uncanonical, the kinship podcast. When something is canonical or accepted as canon, it refers to any inspired writings accepted as holy scripture. This is not that. This is stories of faith, stories of loss, and biblical stories told with many liberties taken. My name is Jacqueline, and today I have the immense privilege of sitting down with one of my best and longest oldest friends, uh, Allie. Hi, Allie. Hello. <laughs> I'm so glad that you could be here, even though we have to sit at least six feet apart. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really enjoying your closet space. <laughs> you know what? I was grateful for having a studio space when studio spaces were open, and now I'm grateful for closets that are big enough. I didn't know <laughs> that the Lord was going to use the walk-in closet that I was excited to have when I got this condo. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are with a walk-in yes, closet that is being are. used for this. <laughs> so I've known you for a very long time and have been so privileged to have, I guess, access to and, and a participating role in so much of your story. But it, there's also a lot to it, um, kind of coming from a Christian faith to taking a bit of time away from that because of your own brokenness and and then like kind of coming back and so there's a lot to be said about your story can you give us a little bit of insight tell us a bit about your formative years and what um and what role faith played in that part of your life sure i can tell you a bit about that so i used to tell people that i grew up in a christian home but looking back i would now say that i grew up in a house that believed in god simply because generations before them believed in him. Um, when I was really young, we were a good Christian family who went to church every Sunday, where I learned about this guy, Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. And I believed in Jesus because, again, generations before me had, and my parents told me that this was the right way to live. And as a four-year-old, why would I question what my parents said was the truth? Yep. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, as, I, as I got older, the wounds that my parents received as children began to manifest themselves into unhealthy and destructive habits, the most prominent being my dad's alcoholism. So Sunday church morphed into every Sunday, mom would drag my brother and I to church and we would question why dad got to stay home and watch TV while we had to sit in the hard pew listening to a boring adult speak theology. <laughs> boring adults? Yeah. It was very boring when you were a kid. When you were a kid, yeah. I mean, sometimes even as a grown-up, it's it's like theology is pretty dense. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But eventually, um, as kids, we found out the truth, and it was devastating. Furthermore, we weren't allowed to tell anyone. So every Sunday, we would continue to lie to everyone about how much work Dad had to do or how tired he was when really he was still drunk from the night before. So at this point in my story, I think it is really important for anyone listening to understand that children are extremely impressionable. I mean, that's that seems fairly obvious. Yeah, everyone's but we, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we forget that when we are looking at Christianity because we really, we first learn about the character of Jesus from our parents. Mm -hmm. And while no parent is perfect, if your parents have very destructive habits it's very it's just very hard to reconcile that with what you hear about God and what you've learned about God firsthand from the parents that are supposed to nourish and protect you yeah your primary caregivers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so from my earthly father I learned that God is absent 
He doesn't care about my band concerts, my school plays, birthdays, graduations. Hmm. He's demanding and doesn't know how to engage in conversation with me or grant simple requests. He doesn't tell me that he loves me unless prompted. And from my earthly mother, I learned that God does not protect me. Meanwhile, we're still all going to church, still keeping the family secret. (laughs) And while I listen to sermons on how much God loves and cares for me, how he listens to my prayers and grants my requests and protects me from harm, those two messages didn't really match up. Then, of course, the church continued the message that we should all strive to squash bad and sinful behaviors like anger, lust, pornography, or alcoholism, rather than addressing these behaviors as symptoms of a bigger problem, which is usually a wounded and empty heart. So, like I said, as I grew older, it became more challenging to reconcile the conflicting messages I was receiving about this Jesus guy, and then on top of that, dealing with numerous disappointments and unanswered prayers. Mm. And then, so just before I turned 22, my mom made a suggestion to me that I could switch rooms with my dad. For context, my parents didn't share the same room for most of my life. So the whole point of her suggestion was that he, my dad, could move upstairs, therefore sleeping in the room next to my mom. And the idea was that he would be more accountable for his drinking. Instead of hiding in the basement. Yes, exactly. And then I would have to move my room to the basement where he had lived for years. And now I really didn't want to say yes to this idea. My spirit was very afraid of that place and the Mm -hmm. darkness it represented. But I did agree to it because I wanted to help my dad. A few days later, after that conversation with my mom, he came upstairs completely obliterated at 9 a.m. And I realized that he was never going to get better. So I packed some of my things into a garbage bag and tearfully phoned a friend asking if I could stay with her family until I found a new place to live. And then I was homeless for a few weeks before I found a permanent home, all the while continuing my life, training at a new job. Looking back, I believe that this point in my life is where I finally turned my back on God for what I thought would be forever. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot to go through at such a young age. And and I've heard so many other, I've heard stories of so many other people our age who went through that. Even like I have families who had like a pastor as a parent and they still saw a bunch of brokenness in their parents' marriage. And then they're like, well, if that's what faith brings is this level of brokenness, what do I, what do I want to do with that? Right? Like mm-hmm. what, what on earth would I... Mm-hmm. want that for that's if it doesn't make any difference in your life what's the point yeah exactly and I didn't have any examples of of people who had walked through or no sorry were were walking th- through hard things and still keeping an open heart to God mm. people always seem to talk about their struggles as being in the past and oh God help me overcome this and it just it right. didn't seem to be happening for me so on top <laughs> of all this and I've left out a lot of my story <laughs> yeah you're like for the sake of time <laughs> yes so yeah there was a lot of just like why why would I continue this it's not bringing me anything right if it's supposed to bring you wholeness fulfillment mm-hmm. you know at, at peace and you're constantly anxious and disappointed and sad and brokenhearted all the time why waste your Sunday mornings exactly (laughs) (laughs) no I get that Uh, quarantine's been nice to have Sunday mornings at home watching church but like in my pajamas (laughs) 
<laughs> you get your Sunday mornings back a little. Um, okay, so then, so that was right before you turned 22 and mm-hmm. you kind of just removed yourself from that situation and turned your back on God kind of all at the same time. Um, walk me through what came next. Honestly, leaving my dad's house and leaving the church was a huge relief for me. <laughs> <laughs> Things people don't normally talk about in their testimonies or at church. Oh, it was a, a huge a it was a huge relief to be away from that pressure to be perfect. Mm. I mean, of course, there was still the pressure I put on myself. Um, so yeah, there was initially there was a huge sense of relief, like, okay, I'm finally free i'm putting i'm doing air quotes um <laughs> your voice got i think they i think they got that. yeah we got it. finally free of this man and his dysfunction and now and of the church who doesn't seem to provide anything for me but criticism and unfulfillment and whatever you fill in the blanks there um yeah lots of people probably have their own examples of what you can yeah. fill in the blank so i yeah initially the relief is there and then as the years went on yeah i realized that just because I had removed myself from the so-called problem didn't necessarily make things better in my, for lack of a better term, inner world, like inside Mm -hmm. of me. Obviously, I'm sure you can all fill in the blanks again with, you know, you walk away from the church, you engage in all sorts of behaviors. I did all that, been there, done that. Um, (laughs) Think of all the things that people always say that Christians don't do in the fun we don't have and then like put that on steroids those are the things that you do I had a lot of fun Uh (laughs) how fun was it actually like was it really well okay (laughs) so what people don't understand about sin is it's very fun in the moment it's the after and a lot of people don't take the time to think about because again we will just cover that uncomfortable feeling with something else so for me it was busyness like I was always Working towards a goal, working overtime, just filling every moment of my life so that there would be no quietness for me Mm. to face that really uncomfortable unease and restlessness. Yeah, so you were in this phase of filling, filling, filling and keeping busy, busy, busy so you didn't have to feel the feelings and and maybe kind of face the like emptiness or disappointment or the dis-ease within yourself Mm -hmm. for a while what was the turning point? Like, what was it that finally got you to stop or to face it or to realize that that, that wasn't working for you anymore? Uh, so really, at first when I was thinking about what I was going to say, I didn't think there was a specific moment. But I do think it was when my dad passed away. When I turned 25, my dad had passed and my mom told me about a program called Freedom Session. So she had heard the guy who developed the program, Ken Dick, speak at Center Street and was really impacted by what he said. And she also shared with me that Ken and my dad had actually been friends in high school. And apparently Ken had been into some really seedy things back then. It was quite a broken person. (laughs) Scandal. Uh, Yes. Woo. (laughs) And my dad actually heard Ken speak once of the, you know, one time out of the rare, extremely rare times he attended church. And he was astonished at the transformation that he saw in Ken. So he went out and he bought all the Freedom Session material. And then he died. And we went through his room after he died, and we found a note tacked onto his bulletin board that said, Freedom Session is top priority. Underneath this note was the letter I had written to him when I left the house, explaining to him that his drinking broke my heart and that I couldn't have a relationship with him until he got the help that he needed. Wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I knew that about. Oh, you didn't? Oh, man. I thought you knew everything. Okay. <laughs> no, I feel like it was a gap. Like, I remember you calling me. I was at Young Adults at, like, Craig's house when you called to tell me that your dad had passed away. Like, I remember receiving the phone call mm-hmm. and, like, running up to a separate bedroom to be like, are you okay? And being very surprised with how okay you sounded. But, of course, not that I should have been surprised. <laughs> um, because, again, when someone that toxic is not in your world anymore, it's it can be a huge relief. Um, and I don't think that's unfair to say, even if it's still heartbreaking or there's a lack of closure or whatever the case may be. But, no, but I don't remember as much about what happened afterwards. You were <laughs> away for the funeral and came back. And then, so, yeah, I don't know if I caught all that. Oh, well, neat. Now you get to know. Now I get to know. <laughs> Tell me more. Keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, from from that, I'm I'm sure a lot of this was just God prompting my heart. But finding that with my mom made me really want to go do Freedom Session in my dad's place. So for those of you who don't know, Freedom Session, to quote their website, is a proven healing discipleship program for people who are ready to look honestly at how they deal with life's challenges and discover the abundant life God intended them to live. Those who complete Freedom Session consistently describe it as the most significant growing experience in their Christian journey. Freedom Session offers practical strategies to deal with real issues such as pornography, broken relationships, sexual woundedness and abuse, depression, anger, fear, and various forms of addiction. Beneath these symptoms is most likely a wounded and, wounded and empty heart looking for hope and meaning. This is not sponsored. That's just the this best is, way of explaining yeah. it. <laughs> if you think this is an ad for Freedom Session, I'm not sponsored by them, but it totally is an ad. Please go take it. It will change your life. It's a personal ad. This is uh, the biggest thing in her <laughs> life. So she wants you to go. <laughs> uh, it is a very long program. Uh, the one that my now husband and I did went from September to April. And it takes you into the deepest corners of your heart that you didn't even realize were there. But in visiting those deep corners and doing the hard work of forgiving those that have hurt you, Jesus is able to come in and heal, leaving you feeling lighter and freer than you could possibly imagine. So that was kind of what happened for me. Can you talk to me a little bit about what the process was like for you forgiving your dad? I think a lot of people think forgiveness requires an apology or forgiveness has to be with someone who's still around to hear you say it or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. Like forgiveness feels, I think, to a lot of people like a really ambiguous concept. Can you walk us through what that looked like? How do you do that? How do you start? It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, And also, okay, disclaimer, if you have had a lot of childhood trauma there are many layers I am not done forgiving my dad because there Mm. are things the first part of forgiveness I believe is you have to if you haven't felt the hurt that happened to you if you haven't fully processed those emotions then you're not in really in a position to forgive and let go of those you can choose to forgive, but if you can't, ah, I'm not mad. No, yeah, you, it's, it's a process. So if you, if you can't feel them, like if you're still in maybe the stage of being too busy or shutting them down, then you can't let go of something if you haven't felt it. Like if it doesn't, it, it has to, it's almost like a journey. Like it starts really, really deep inside of you and it has to come out. And so if mm-hmm. you don't, if on the way out, it usually is something you have to feel. And so you can't, I would say maybe you can't let it out of you unless you also go through the process of feeling it. 
Yeah, exactly. And when you have to live with dysfunction as well, I, sh- I should say that you you learn to not acknowledge your feelings because, okay, this terrible thing happened to you, but you have to go to school tomorrow and you have to, or you have to go to work and you have yeah. to live your normal life. And it's probably going to happen to you again tomorrow. And you just go through that again and again and again, and you lose touch with what feeling things even is like there was a point where I I really didn't feel anything and I couldn't even name my emotions to you so at least yeah that's that's the reality for my journey anyways is I had to really feel my anger and my disappointment for various things that my dad had done um and my anger and disappointment at God because at one point during the freedom session journey we had a man come share his testimony and he was a former alcoholic and God had saved him (laughs) and that session made me very very angry because God where were you for my dad Mm -hmm. and it's still like (laughs) it still makes me angry sometimes so you know it's not this is not a, uh, a journey with a beginning and an end it's a continuing it's a continuation um so, yeah, I really had to go in deep and feel all those ugly, horrible things. <laughs> and forgiveness is not something that you feel. It is a choice. And I think another important thing is to remember when you forgive someone, um, it doesn't mean reconciliation. And I'm not just saying that because my dad is dead and gone. If you can forgive someone, but if they do not stop their destructive behaviors and or they don't change or they don't acknowledge what they have done to you then they're if they're not going to acknowledge what they're doing wrong and change and it's not a safe space you're under no obligation to start building a relationship with someone who might still not be safe yeah exactly it's more about letting yourself go like letting go of the pain that's been holding you right yes you have to remember if whoever has hurt you in their life well, in my case, my dad is dead and gone. He never recognized how he... He had no idea that he'd even hurt us all so deeply. He thought that this is just my problem. And I can tell you <laughs> from personal experience, the people who have hurt you do not care anymore. They're not thinking about you. <laughs> they have moved on with their lives. The only person that you're holding prisoner with your anger and your sense of, oh, this person needs to be held accountable. The only person that's harming is you. <laughs> And I, I love what you said about it being a choice. Um, and I don't know if I've said it before, but I'm sure I'll say it again. And that is that it is absolutely more of a choice because I think if we are waiting for forgiveness to be something we feel like we want to do. We'll never feel it. We'll never do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never feel like you want to forgive someone. We want to hold on to these feelings. Like we feel justified by them and it almost feels mm-hmm. like they're protecting you, which to a degree, I think for a season, they do protect you, right? If someone's hurt you, but... If we continue to feed that and bring it back and hold on to it, it becomes something that's hurting us. Being hurt by someone and feeling like you want to hold on to that is only even helpful for a second. And then after that, you want to hold on to it and you feel like you want to hold on to it. So it it becomes a tough choice. But once you make the choice to forgive, that's when God can meet you halfway and get the feelings to come along. But after you've chosen to, because if you continue to choose to hold on to those feelings, you'll bring that up over and over again or you'll 
create an internal dialogue with yourself about how it's okay and how you're justified feeling that way. And you almost like relive that same wounding over and over again with by your anger. Whereas when you choose to let it go, you say, I'm done doing that. I'm done replaying it. And I'm done living in that over and over again. You say, God, I'm like, I hear, please. Then I find that usually once you've made that choice, that's when God can come the rest of the way. And your heart catches up, I guess is the best way I could describe it. I feel like also you have to, the hardest people to forgive are the people who've hurt you the most. Mm -hmm. But until you start there, if you are still being hurt so badly by those big wounds that your heart can't feel or that you're still closed off or you've turned into stone, it's not going to be easier to do small forgiveness for other people if you're still that hardened. I almost feel like you have to start with the big stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my case. It was... It was all about forgiving my dad, and that's all where it started. So so what's your life been like since then? Because you gave us a brief synopsis of kind of your life pre-Freedom Sessions. And so after going through Freedom Sessions and maybe pulling off some of those biggest layers of wounds from your dad and learning how to go through the process of forgiving, where are you at now? What have things looked like? The last few years have been... I mean, I feel like my whole life has been a wild ride. Like, it has been. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, yeah I literally came up with like me. a whole hashtag of inexplicable Eek. adventures because your life is just one bananas thing after another. Yeah. So my, yeah, I feel like my whole life has been one giant pile of crazy. But some really cool things have happened since I finished Freedom Session. And actually, I just I want to share one in particular. So I've shared about my struggles with my earthly father. And then he passed away and I had to work through all that in freedom session. And then God decided to give me a really great gift. <laughs> um, I think I know where it's going. <laughs> so I, f- I finished freedom session and then I go serve on a hospital ship in Africa. And I have a dream one night that my father comes back to life. <laughs> yeah cringy and then also this is not the first time i've had this dream so clearly there's some roots i have to deal with there um <laughs> but when i when i got back from that i met with my spiritual mentor and i told her about that dream and she said that i think that god wants to teach you what the father's love looks like <laughs> so big sigh yeah so i was like Okay, cool. Well, that's going to be really hard with a man I can't see. Well, God is not a man, but with someone I can't see and I've never really enjoyed being around. Um, (laughs) Brutal honesty with Allie. (laughs) I do enjoy Jesus a lot more now. Thank you. That's one benefit of Freedom Session. Um, So I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Whatever. Um, (laughs) Move on with my life. On June 15th, the date is important. Um, I was driving to my now sister-in-law's wedding, and I was not stoked about going. I was not thinking about anything remotely related to fathers. And as I'm driving, this clear as day thought pops into my brain that it's time to find your birth father. So Allie's adopted for context. For clarification, I know. (laughs) So that thought pops into my head, and you have to understand that it was... At this point, I'd already met my birth mother, and I had never desired to meet my birth father. No one really knew anything about him. I was never told anything about him. 
other than basic information. We had one picture that I remember. Yeah, so not a lot of info, and he wasn't around when I was born. They split up before, I think about halfway through her pregnancy. So anyways, this thought, like, I'm trying to hit home the point that it literally came out of nowhere. Right. And there was no context for it. So when that kind of thing happens, the only thing I assume is that it must be from God. And I knew that this was from God, too. Like, Especially after you had just had your spiritual mentor say mm-hmm. something about God's going to show you fatherhood. And suddenly another father theme pops out of nowhere. Yeah. So anyways, I go to the wedding and then I go to work. And so I try thinking, okay, how am I going to... How am I going to find this guy? And I start searching on the BC Adoption website because I was adopted out of British Columbia. So I had all the forms printed. And then I went home after a night shift. It wasn't very, it was only a few days after this June 15th revelation. And I Googled his name, which I had done in the past, mainly out of curiosity, and nothing had ever come up. And this time I Googled his name and this LinkedIn profile popped up and I opened it and the photo, like, (laughs) I saw his photo and I started to shake because I knew it was him. And all the information that was on his profile confirmed, like, the the little that I did know about him, everything confirmed that this was the guy. Yeah, for sure. This is, this is the, the birth dad. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anyways, it was a very exciting moment. I think I even texted you. I was supposed to be sleeping. You did. You did text me. I remember. <laughs> oh my gosh, I found him. And I was like, we were looking for him? I didn't. <laughs> okay. I just want to say at this moment that I love how when something is God ordained, you don't, you have to work hard for it, but you don't have to strive for mm. it. Those are two very different things. And as you continue, as I continue this story, you'll understand what I mean. As I tried my own ways to find him, and then I just found him. Yeah, almost like a random, and all the other times you had randomly done that same thing, you didn't find him, mm-hmm. but when it was God's timing, you did the random thing, Things and unfold as they should, like it doesn't... You don't have to force anything. Yes, exactly. I was trying to find the word. Yeah. So I found his profile, and one of my friends, who was not a Christian, but she gave me surprisingly wise advice she's like you're a hot mess right now you just got back from africa (laughs) you are doing school part-time you're working part-time i don't think this is a good time to reach out to him i think you should wait until you're a little bit more settled back into life after your big trip away because i was gone in africa for two months so yeah not a small thing Mm -hmm. at all and even leading up to the trip you had so much to prepare for and Mm -hmm. do and yeah lots of So anyways, I left it and I was like, okay, I think I'll message him in like September, October, which is also not like me at all. She's a little impulsive. (laughs) How many tattoos do you have? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) So waiting was a very hard thing to do, but it turned out to be the best thing because I was, I was still very excited about it. And I kept showing people his LinkedIn profile, not realizing that when you view people's LinkedIn profiles... It notifies them that you've searched them. And Nothing is secret on the internet. <laughs> Nothing. And so once I realized that, I took off all my info and my phone. <laughs> Again, me trying to control the situation. Silhouette, a- empty account. Yes, exactly. And so then one day he noticed. He gets hundreds of people, just the industry he's in, he's get, he gets hundreds of people viewing his profile all the time. Convenient for you. Yes. 
Um, but he see he saw my name one day, and he had this insatiable curiosity mm. about it. And nothing. I did leave a little bit on my profile because he doesn't know me. So like where I graduated high school and my like job title or yes, yeah, you know, simple stuff like that. And like that didn't satisfy him. He couldn't get me out of his head, which sounds so creepy. And he, <laughs> if you don't know the context, it's creepy. Context makes it not creepy. So yeah, he was determined. He's like, something isn't right here. Like this is not matching up. I don't understand why this girl is looking at my page. You're not in the right age demographic. You're not in the right Ev- industry. Everything. And yeah, he couldn't get it out of his mind. And he he can't even describe what that feeling was like for him it was very yeah i'm like well it's jesus but he's not a believer so you know you can't just tell people that yeah they don't like it so much and that's fair we respect that that's why we don't tell people that <laughs> so then he asked his friends okay how do i creep people on the internet and so- <laughs> he's he's older he's in a different generation it's like okay how do i yeah. stalk someone so his friends helped me out and they googled my name fortunately that was before i made my instagram private oh mm-hmm. so he was able to view he created a fake instagram account and was <laughs> able to go through i know it's so ridiculous able to go through all my photos and then then when his friends saw photos of me they're like um Nathan, what are you doing? Like, this girl's really young. Yeah, we were going to help you, but now you're now this weird. Is, now this is creepy. Now we're not helping you anymore. <laughs> we're calling the police. <laughs> He's like, no, I just, I can't. This is, you know, I, I can't reconcile this inside of my heart. And then he found a photo of me in front of his grad plaque, pointing to photos of them, and that all clicked for him and... He told me when we met, he said, I'm very thankful I have a door in my office because I lost myself. Like he was, (laughs) he was crying. He was just out of control and realizing like, this is my daughter. Like this is Mm -hmm. 20 to six years later. Mm -hmm. And I think that he was the one that needed to discover me. Then it, I don't know. I think it's a dude thing. It needs to be their idea. <laughs> <laughs> the cutest story ruined by. I don't know. Or no, it's absolutely. Just, it's, it's also just. Well, and yeah, with God's timing too on that one, like if you had reached out to him, then like the desire to meet you couldn't have, wasn't built like in the same way as this curiosity that he couldn't describe mm-hmm. and the discovering of, and then the realization, like, it's not like you had put expectations on him or when you had sent a message said, I want to meet you or I want this. And then your expectations are communicated. And that's, that's what he's going with. Like he's now responding to that. Instead mm-hmm. he could just have his own moment with this and feel yeah. what he needed to feel in that moment. Exactly. So then he messaged me and it was a very vague message. And I received the message the same day that I met my birth mother. Well, at the time, it was eight years ago. Eight years prior. So eight exactly years prior, eight years I, met my, I met, my, met my birth mom on August 29th. And on August 29th, eight years later, my birth father messages me. Yeah, with this vague message. And, <laughs> and reaches out. And now you've got first contact mm-hmm. eight years later exactly with your birth dad. Yeah. So, I mean, I was about to go on vacation, so I left it. Poor man. He was freaking out. <gasps> and then I, fin- I did finally, <laughs> I 
Again, that's not like me to leave it for a week. No. After you'd waited from June to August also. So yeah, then I, I met First Contact and he was immediately like, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. And like right away. He's like, are you free this Friday? I'm like, yep. <laughs> I guess. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, actually it was a, it was a Saturday. Um, but <laughs> yeah. So then we met up in real life and the only way I can describe it, and this will only be understandable for people who have had their children, when a man first meets his newborn child, that was what it was like. Like This grown-ass man burst into tears in the middle of the cafe. <laughs> and another, like, it was just such... Yeah, I have no words. I have no words. It was everything that I've ever desired in one moment (laughs) you hear that a lot in in talk which is that like moms become moms almost like as they're carrying the baby a lot of the time whereas people say that dads become dads like when they first lay eyes on their child like Mm -hmm. when the kid is born and so it was almost like that day you were born to him oh yeah 100 percent. he said things that you know like parents oh you're so perfect you're so beautiful and (laughs) you know it's so funny like this opportunity for you to have this perfect dad time like what a unique opportunity for God to bless you so much with that delight Mm -hmm. because as a baby we aren't aware of it Mm -hmm. you as a grown woman were able to experience all of that delight that you would normally see in a parent in all those newborn photos and all that you know like the hospital moments that you don't normally get to actually witness and feel. And so I guess your story kind of is that he did all of that. Like you had all the delight of a father bestowed upon you. But after you had lost your earthly father and as mm-hmm. you were on a spiritual journey to rediscover what a father's love could really look like. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, not having, well, according to my mother, I had, my dad did delight in me when I was younger, but I don't, Again, I don't remember You it. don't remember because then, you were a kid. You yeah, were too, and too little. As his issues manifested, then there wasn't that delight. No. I would say, like, I can't remember any moment. And so it was very significant for me. And, of course, my birth father is not perfect. <laughs> uh, as any human, that we're not perfect, but... God frequently takes me back to that moment Mm. and reminds me, he's like, that and way more is how I feel for you. And so that is, it's really been helpful to have that perspective, that tangible, like, I see you, you see me, I can touch you, like, (laughs) moment. And, you know, yeah, to have that moment and to be able to, start to integrate that into my heart to how okay this is how god sees me and this is how god loves me as you have to remember i have like 10 to 15 years of the opposite message to unwork yeah and so yeah it it was an incredible incredible gift from god yeah and it's funny because you hear so many people where when they have kids sometimes that for them is a clarifying moment of god's love for his children, which is us, because now they 
understand internally the love they have for their kids Mm -hmm. now that they're born and I would die for them. I would do anything for them. I've never felt love like this before. Mm -hmm. But usually that only would happen if you were the parent and then also you're the one now doing all the work to take care of the tiny human and what have you. But, um, but God had a very different story for you, which was that, yeah, you got to experience that level of delight, but still in the role of child. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was extremely healing for me. And I do believe a huge part of God's plan for me is to redeem all the garbage of generations mm. past for me. And I think it's an incredible opportunity to receive a lot of healing before I have children of my own. Because as I'm learning, this stuff can, like the traumas and all this stuff can be passed down to your children and I kind of want this all to end with me (laughs) (laughs) break the cycle enough is enough so yeah and that's so powerful and and I commend you very highly because not everyone makes the tough choice to deal with their own things and and so much does get passed on even I mean not that anyone's a, a bad person if they end up passing stuff on to their kids and children have such little emotional capacity for processing things that every parent's going to hurt their kids like that's oh, 100% yeah but there's a certain level of generational trauma and generational pain and iniquities that if you don't have to pass them on if you if the buck can stop with you mm-hmm. what a powerful movement that is for restoration personally and then in the world at large the more people that can live in this world and exist in this world as fully restored as is possible in it, then there are opportunity for grace and for love and for being more Christ-like and more a safe space for others. And, and all those things that we'd what, like the church to be, but we so often fail at can be mm-hmm. the more whole that we are as people. Yeah, exactly. I love so much that God was able to be so creative with the restoration he brought mm-hmm. for you. And mm-hmm. that even though so much of your, the beginning of your story is characterized by woundedness from the church but so much of what this last season has been for you started with really good things that the church was able to give back to you which was tools for the process of forgiveness and for healing and then you know god just took that one step you took in his direction and ran with it oh i'll say one step it was many steps Mm -hmm. that freedom sessions was a ton of work but of course i always want to ask for the people who are listening that might be leaders or might be pastors or even just for the rest of us who end up being the church, being the body of Christ every day, what would you say is something or some things that the church could have done better? That's a great question. So I'm going to try and answer this thoughtfully because I feel like when that question's asked, a lot of people like to sit there and blame the church for not coming through for them mm. and no this I made this choice because the church didn't show up for me or whatever anyway yeah I don't want to sit here and blame the church for the choices that I made or for how my life turned out so my my, yeah, my thoughts are this I believe that currently the church is to a degree a product of the culture that we live in our society North American society in particular, values comfort and seeks to Mm. actively avoid discomfort and pain and yes and from my experience uh the church often does the same thing 
that when something bad is happening, the church prays that God would liberate us from the suffering. However, God never promises us a life of bliss. We do not live in heaven, and our world is full of sin and suffering. The decision I made at 22 to break off the relationship with my earthly father was met with a lot of criticism. Is oh, mm. we have this idea that if we love someone, we're supposed to you know continue being in, around them and, and not trying to build a relationship. And mm-hmm. and then when I also voiced that I didn't believe he was ever going to get better, I was told that I need just need to have more faith. Um, classic line for a reminder for all of you my dad died three years ago (laughs) never having overcome his alcoholism and our relationship was never reconciled on this side of heaven to clarify i'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for relief of suffering because i do believe that god performs miracles yeah however the church could learn to effectively support and disciple each other through our suffering Mm. and facilitate safe areas for the Holy Spirit to come in and heal our wounds. Because, you know, you can see in my case that the suffering I experienced with my dad wasn't really resolved. It resolved in death, which is tragic. And it resolved when you left to a degree. Mm -hmm. That's when the continual pain and the continual woundedness could could pause. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was also a child. Like, I, when I was a child and this was going on, I didn't have the choice to leave. To leave. Yeah. And he wasn't abusing us, so it's not like social services could have come in and done something. Yeah, if the church could learn to effectively support and disciple each other through our suffering and allow the Holy Spirit to come and heal our wounds, particularly the ones that occur in childhood, because children do not have the emotional capacity to process the things that happen to them so yeah i think if the church could learn to suffer well for lack of a better term i think that more people would experience the peace and joy that christ offers even if their circumstances are still abysmal Mm -hmm. um in a recent book i just read it, it talked a lot about how our inner world can be completely at peace with total chaos happening on the outside and that is what we should be working towards as a a church church, is to help uh, each other grow in Christ and receive more and more of that. Uh, I I took this quote from Freedom Session webpage, (laughs) add again, (laughs) Uh, just because I think it fits really well. Um, They say, as Jesus heals the heart, unhealthy and destructive ways previously used to escape the pain become less and less attractive. Shame loses its grip, and the lies that once sought to destroy are replaced by God's truth and practical skills to live accordingly. This is the pathway to true and lasting freedom. As I also mentioned earlier, how I I felt as though the church just chastised bad behaviors, when really there's usually a root to those. And if we could focus on uprooting these things, then... Yeah, that shame loses its grip, and, you know, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Forrest Gump, that's, that's all I have to say yeah. about that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, it's, uh, there's, always, um, there's always a root. There's always something that's coming from people. I think philosophically most people agree that people aren't inherently bad, but we are inherently sinful in that we live in a world that is full of that, and we are almost always wounded mm-hmm. or quickly become that way because of the world we live in mm-hmm. a, a not perfect world so mm-hmm. i love that that's that's very wise because we will face suffering and 
And if the church is meant to be the hands and feet of Christ, and if it's meant to be our community, those are really important things for a community to be is a support system. Mm-hmm. And if we're the hands and feet and heart and mouth and, you know, all of those things of Christ, then that means coming alongside of people and walking through tough things with them, yeah. whatever that looks like and all the stages of it and and offering tools because like Freedom Sessions or mm-hmm. the journey that I went through with a different organization, but the same reconciliation processes mm-hmm. and restoration processes, you know, those those spiritual tools are so powerful. And if the church has those and we don't use them or we are so avoidant of suffering that we don't want to talk about how Christ can speak into those moments or bring restoration to those moments just because we want to pretend they don't exist, mm-hmm. sort of, then we're, we're not doing anyone any favors. And that's not helping move the gospel forward. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. Okay, so the last question then mm-hmm. that's also a very fun question is what would you have told your 22 year old self Uh, (laughs) do you remember my 22nd birthday you were there was that the marquee yes oh (laughs) i do remember your 22nd birthday that was not a good night for either of us it was not a good look (laughs) it was so yeah my 22nd birthday without going into all the details, was one of the worst birthdays of all time. Only triumphed by my 11th birthday. Uh, If you remember from what I said earlier, when I turned 22, I had just made a really hard decision to break off relational ties with my dad and move out of my parents' house. Uh, So I would go back and tell myself at 22 that I made the right decision because Mm. that decision was not only questioned by other people, but also myself right because it was a very very hard thing to do and that what I felt in my spirit that my dad would not be getting better was the truth and I would tell myself that it it is okay to feel anger disappointment rage sadness and despair and that those feelings need to be expressed in a safe way in a safe environment rather than be stuffed down and ignored I don't know, smashing things in a junkyard, journaling, counseling, whatever. I would also tell her that her dad didn't deal with his wounds and that is what manifested his negative behaviors. And if she doesn't, didn't deal with hers, it would also manifest itself into a negative way. Then I would just let her be and live her life with all the sinful choices she made. (laughs) Uh, Because again, as I shared, when I left my parents' house, I believed that if I had separated from my dad and his destructive problems, that the unrest that I felt inside myself would also go away. But I think I'm a very hands-on person. Mm. I think I needed to learn firsthand that no, the unrest inside is because I didn't understand and was never shown an example of how God can truly transform and heal our spirits in the midst of the worst possible circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have effectively effectively learned that lesson if I hadn't experienced firsthand the emptiness and unrest that comes from a life without Christ. Yeah. Totally. It wasn't a lesson you could just hear someone else say. Like you're, even if you, from the future, went back to 22-year-old self and said, this isn't going to do it for you. You're going to still be empty. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have believed you now. No. I probably would have told her to F off. Yeah. <laughs> 
colorful language. Like, wow, that's really cool. What is this? Back to the future? Bye. Because yeah, <laughs> I was also a very angry 22-year-old. And yeah. I think I don't think I was in a place to hear any of that. Like that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. That's <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I feel like, I mean, we've asked that question now a couple of times. Like, what would you tell your 22-year-old self? And I think we'd all like to think that it would make a difference or we'd be able to change things. It would have not made a difference. You're the only self-aware enough person to be like, Mm-mm, I could tell her anything. She, I could tell her that monkeys flew and elephants mm-hmm. like could scuba dive, but it wouldn't make a difference. Like, she wouldn't hear that. Yeah. Because yeah. I still had, at 22, I still had Christians in my life. And I actively chose to avoid them. So, like, would I? No. But, yeah, the you now wouldn't have conveyed the message that mm-hmm. you then would have heard. And it and it probably wouldn't have mattered, even no. if you had heard it. Yeah. No. Well, thanks, Allie. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for sharing. I was very nervous, but it all turned <laughs> out well. I'm still picking up my hands, but I'm not sweating, so it's an improvement. <laughs> and it's fairly warm in here in the closet, so if you're not sweating... That must mean that you've calmed down. (laughs) I love you so much. And and thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncanonical. If you have any questions or want to get a hold of us, you can email uncanonicalpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook or Instagram at Kinship Conference. And to find all our new episodes, head to kinshipconference.com slash podcast.